the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. It's the day after Election Day here in Michigan, and we are going to talk about all of the races, what's happening in them, and what the results mean going into the November general elections. We'll talk about the idea that maybe Detroit will not be represented by an African-American in Congress for the first time in almost 70 years and all the other implications. It's all next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm glad you've decided to join us. Yesterday, for the first time ever, Michigan voters went to the polls in new districts that were created by the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission. For the past few weeks, we have tried to take you through these new districts in southeast Michigan, trying to figure out what effect, if any, this new process would have on our elections. Today, even as votes are still being counted and results being tallied, tallied, we get our first chance to dissect actual results from the process and begin to think about what all this will mean in the future. We've already learned a few things, some surprising, some expected. We know that Michigan's next governor will be a woman, as the Republican Party nominated Tudor Dixon to face off with our current governor, Gretchen Whitmer, in November. We also know that Peter Meyer, one of the few Republicans in Congress who voted to impeach former President Donald Trump for his role in the January 6th insurrection, will not be returning to office. He was defeated in his uh, primary election by John Gibbs, a former HUD official. As for Democrats, Haley Stevens defeated Andy Levin in Michigan's 11th and the 13th district, which includes much of the city of Detroit, is really still too close to call. But beyond the individual results, of course, there are overall takeaways that we want to get to from yesterday's primary challenges. Did we learn anything about the Republican and Democratic parties here in Michigan in the voting yesterday? And what did Michigan residents tell us about uh, what they're thinking with their votes yesterday? Is there anything we can learn from these results that might give us insight into November. That is, of course, where we begin the conversation here the day after Election Day in Michigan. And I've got two great voices with us to help us unpack all of this. Uh, I'm joined by Alethea Kasbin, who is managing editor at Gangwar News Service here in Michigan. Alethea, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you for having me this morning. Also with us is Greg Bowens. He's a political and communications consultant and columnist with Deadline Detroit, Greg, welcome back to Detroit. Hey, hey. Good to, hey, hey. Good to hear you this morning. <laughs> all right. First of all, how much sleep did uh, you guys get last night? How late did you stay up waiting to see results for me? Uh, my head hit the pillow at about 1.30, I want to say, and uh, I still didn't know uh, an awful lot about what was going on, but uh, it was uh, there was a couple barn burners uh, as, I, as my eyes closed. Uh, Alethea, I, I'm going to start with you. Tell me what has your attention uh, today, what uh, what stands out from yesterday as the most significant thing that we learned. Well, you know, I think it's uh, that Tudor Dixon, the Republican, now the Republican nominee for, for governor, is going to be um, going up against Gretchen Whitmer in November. You know, like you said at the top, we know that Michigan's next governor will be a woman. It's the first woman to be nominated, or she is the first woman to be nominated by the the Republican Party, uh, you know, so that is certainly something that I'm looking forward to uh, seeing how it shakes out in November. I think in terms of what, um, you know, voters told us, I think we saw a mixed bag when it came to 
sort of Trump's endorsement and what that means. Certainly, he endorsed Tudor Dixon, and that seemed to push her ahead. He endorsed John Gibbs, and he, you know, defeated Peter Meyer in the third district in Grand Rapids. But there were other, you know, seats specifically in the legislature where a Trump endorsement, you know, did not carry a candidate through um, to get the nomination. Yeah. Um, when we talk about the role that the former president is playing in in local politics here in in Michigan. I, I, again, I think, as you say, it's kind of a mixed bag coming out of yesterday. But these these two uh, these two races, of course, Tudor Dixon had lots and lots of support from uh, from people who don't like Trump as as well as uh, as as Trump himself. But in this third congressional district, uh, where Peter Meyer uh, lost his his bid for for re-election. I, I think that's huge news. Uh, and and the fact that John Gibbs, an African-American who's a Republican, beat Peter Meyer um, stands out to me as well. Talk a little more about what, what was going on in, in Grand Rapids. You know, Lee, it, that is huge news to me, too. I, I, I find that to be, you know, very interesting. I think, um, you know, we saw some last-minute ads for for John Gibbs that Peter Myers specifically and some other Democrats were really critical of with uh, a national uh, Democratic group getting in and sort of having this ad that was disguised as uh, negative, but really could have uh, increased Gibbs name ID and uh, appeal among Republican voters. So who knows? You know, we don't really know if that was a factor, but certainly it could have been. I don't really know what Grand Rapids voters uh, were saying with this race. I think Certainly, Democrats are now looking at it as a huge pickup in November. I think this might be the embodiment of sort of a double-edged sword that Trump uh, has for Republicans, where it could be great for a general or for a primary, excuse me, but in the general, is it a detriment? You know, this is going to be a prime example of that potentially if Gibbs, you know, completely takes a seat off the map for Republicans moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Greg, uh, I want to start, come to you now and talk about what has your attention coming out of uh, yesterday's uh, balloting. What 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 were the races that that kept you up late? Oh, man, Stephen, I was up till 2 a.m. this morning. <laughs> so I beat you by 30 minutes, but I couldn't <laughs> hang on much longer after that. <laughs> uh, I was I was watching the uh, the sheriff's race, obviously, because, you know, there was a client of mine. But beyond that, uh, and he won Ray Ray Washington, Raphael Washington. But the uh, the 13th district man, was a I just you know I just kept looking at it and looking at it and waiting for the results and and uh, it looks like you know Shri has 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 won it. And I look at the numbers in that particular race and I see that if you add up like all the all the men who were in that race. Mm-hmm. And give them to uh, to um, Adam, he would have beat Sheree by thirty eight percent. In fact, if you would have you know lumped, if it would have just been Adam, uh, Sheree, and Portia Robeson in there, and give all the women to Portia and give all the men uh, uh, to Adam, uh, Adam still would have won, and Sheree would have been in third place. Hmm. So uh, there's uh, a really great map uh, that uh, an urban uh, policy student has uh, created of uh, of what what this looks like in terms of where where Shri did really well and where Mm -hmm. other candidates uh, did really well. Of course, the downriver portion of this district had a lot of people's attention because it's it's suburban, although. Uh, a lot of the municipalities that are included have significant African American populations. Uh, there are also a lot of white voters in those districts, and and then in Gross Point. But overall, um, overall, this was um, you know, uh, Shri Danadar got a lot of votes in the city of Detroit. In fact, he wins the city of Detroit. Now that is you know, with them splitting all these other votes mm-hmm. uh, among the many candidates. But here's the question that, that keeps coming back to me. Is the problem the way this district is drawn, or is the problem the way our politics play out? And what I keep coming back to is Warren Evans, who's the county executive in Wayne County, um, and his effort to try to unify 
support of Detroiters and African Americans behind one candidate rather than several, which there's no question if that had happened, whether it was Adam Ollier or Portia Roberson or maybe even uh, uh, John Conyers, the uh, son of the former the former congressman, um, there's no question that, that you would have had an African American and probably uh, a Detroiter from Africa, I mean, a, an African American from Detroit win this win this race. So, so which is it, or is it is it a combination of both? I do I do think it's a combination of both. Uh, Warren Evans put on a great effort to try and organize people, mm-hmm. uh, but he made two you know two sort of uh, miscalculations in doing that. One is is that women didn't feel as included as they as they. Should have been. They just didn't feel included in the in the process. In his efforts, you mean? Yeah, in yeah. his effort. And even though he did have women who were on the panel and part of what's going on, there was too much of a cry out there that said that you know you dissed us. You you know you, we weren't included. This is this is not right. And uh, and they and and that he did not, and the people that were working with him did not respond aggressively to that quick enough to try and shore up you know that support and say this was a fair process. Uh, the other thing is, is that it was too Detroit focused. I mean, even though Warren Evans is, I mean, he is a powerhouse when it comes to Wayne County politics. But the uh, the idea that uh, looking at the migration patterns and reaching people all over the county for this particular effort across the district, I mean, uh, just didn't really pan out that way. And so uh, I, I think it was a great effort. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I really like Emily's list. I dig them. I think they do great lists, uh, great work. But Emily's list screwed us <laughs> here by jumping in the race late to support Portia Robeson. Uh, and in my mind, they were sucking votes away from, from Adam. They did not do us hmm. any favors here. And so, I mean, it's ironic, you know, on the one hand. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, it's difficult when you have as many African-American candidates as we did, as many choices as mm -hmm. we did in a race like that to, I mean, to not split the vote, you know, several ways and not to split support several, uh, you know, several ways. I mean, the APAC money that came in for Adam, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think uh, uh, people in the Roberson campaign would say the same thing about about that 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 um, that diluted support for 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 Portia perhaps uh, mm-hmm. um, and 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 other candidates. I mean, the, you you had way too many splits of the of the of the district. Uh, 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 I, well, let, let, let me say this: Michael Griffey should not have been in this race. What the heck was he doing in this race? But he how can no you say chance. that? How can you say that people well, don't he, shouldn't he run? Because he had no chance. I mean, if the if the idea is to make sure that we have African-American representation, let's get the best person with the best shot. And we know the vote is going to be split. And you're and you're you're sitting on the train tracks. You're watching this disaster barrel down on you and you don't do anything Mm. about it. Mm. You know, and 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 so there were too many people in this race. Yeah. Anybody can run. Raise your hand. At the same time, if you're committed to the idea of black representation for the blackest city in the country. Right. You then you have to think your, about something other than your own ambition. Exactly. Right, exactly. Right. Same yeah. thing with John. I love John. I think he's a great kid. John Conyers. You know, you mean. Yeah. yeah. John Conyers. Uh, great kid. But man, you know, if you were really dedicated to the principles that your father, John Conyers, the senior stood up for, you would have dropped out that race and put your support behind somebody to make that happen. Mm. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think there's no question that that uh, the po- again the politics here had as much to do with what we ended up with with a, as the draw here did. This is a 46 percent African American district. It's not. It's not a. It's not at least in terms of national medians and things. It's nowhere close to the to the edge of being able to elect an, an African-American. But if you got too many choices, uh, you will split the vote. Let me add this, Stephen. The, uh, we, we're, we're saying politics, but politics really mass, you know, what this was more about than anything else. And that was ego and selfishness. Hmm. And too many people put their ego in their own self-interest 
ahead of the interests of the community as a whole. Yeah. Now, this is not to say that Sri Thandar, I mean, Sri Thandar is a Democrat. You know, that's what he is. I'm happy with any Democrat that gets in there. But if representation really matters, does it really matter? Then, you know, hmm. we should have had a better shot. Yeah. Uh, Alicia Casman, I want to get your reaction to what happened in the 13th. And then, of course, also in the 11th district, where we also we had two incumbents face off, Haley Stevens and uh, Andy Levin. And, uh, and Andy Levin looks like uh, it, it, he's he is the one who's going to lose his seat. Uh, go ahead, Alethea. Yeah, so, you know, you've both made great points on, on the 13th. I think, you know, I agree with everything that's been said. It's just a crowded, crowded field, and it's hard to compete with the money that, you know, Sheree brought to the table. I also think, you know, he was just relentless. I know our reporter covering that race said, you know, he was like, I'm at every subway, I'm at Ace Hardware's, I'm where the people are. You know, he, you know, we saw it with the gubernatorial race in 2018. He certainly can get his name out there and, and talk to voters. And in a crowded field like this, it, you know, is just hard, hard to compete with. Um, and yeah, in the 11th, we're going to see Rep Haley Stevens move through, which I think was expected uh, moving into last night. It seemed like uh, Representative Levin was probably going to lose that, but it's still, you know, an incredible loss. Levin has, you know, represented Michigan in some way for for decades. Yeah, it was, since 1970. You know, yeah. yeah, there was a race that wasn't without, you know, its its controversies. But I think, you know, we saw women, you know, tend to do a little bit better in Democratic primaries. We also, you know, saw Brenda Lawrence uh, come through endorsing Haley Stevens, which I think was a huge get for her, and it was just really difficult for 11 to to come back from that uh, and then you know the money that APAC spent in that race as well for Haley Stevens just you know kind of one thing on top of another led to to this defeat for representative Levin yeah. well you know in 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 democratic politics you know party politics the idea that we have a progressive is not something that we're unfamiliar with we like progressives you know in terms of being democratic activists but Levin's legacy, the legacy he inherited, was a legacy of moderation. <laughs> mm. You know, he didn't mm -hmm. come from a progressive sort of like family. And to uh, to to he he had the opportunity to get us another seat. And the fact that he did not take that turned off a lot of Democrats. I mean, Haley is I mean, she's I mean, she's bad. She's bad. She gets out there and she goes for it. She unseated an incumbent Republican. Remember that? Yep. And uh, mm -hmm. so she's no joke. At the same time, you know, Andy had a great opportunity that now Cara Marlinga is going to, you know, is going to take and uh, and hopefully win that seat. We'll mm -hmm. see. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break. I want to thank Alethea Kasbin, who's managing editor at Gangwer News here in Michigan, for joining us. Alethea, it was great to have you here. Yes, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we come back, we're going to keep Greg Bowens, political and communications consultant and columnist with Deadline Detroit. We're also going to add another voice to the conversation. Rick Pluta of the Michigan Public Radio Network is going to join to talk about his reactions to what happened yesterday at the polls. And we want to get going on the phones and on social. Call and tell us what race has your attention today, the day after election day. What did you think about what happened? If you live in the city of Detroit, what do you think about the idea of being represented by someone who's not an African-American for the first time in nearly 70 years? What do you think of the 13th district race? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or to Twitter, put comments there. And we'll work in the, in the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the aftermath of yesterday's primary elections here in the state of Michigan. Uh, all over the state, we had uh, results that in some cases surprised us, some cases 
they were expected outcomes. But uh, there's no question that politics going forward in this state is going to look really different in a number of different ways as a result of the voting that happened yesterday. Uh, We've got a great guest with us right now, Greg Bowens, who is a political and communications consultant and a columnist with Deadline Detroit. Uh, We are waiting for Rick Pluta of the Michigan Public Radio Network uh, to join us. Uh, He may be uh, busy doing other things, uh, watching the vote counting in some way or uh, trying to, to sort through all of it. He is going to, to join us when he gets a chance. Meanwhile, we want to hear from you about your reactions to what happened yesterday uh, with all of the voting. Uh, what do you think of the results in Detroit in the 13th congressional district where Sri Thanadar appears to be the person who has pulled out of uh, that race, pulled pulled uh, pulled that race out, I should say, and, uh, and will likely be the next uh, congressperson representing the, the, the city of Detroit, which would be a milestone of sorts in the sense that uh, Detroit has been represented by an African-American in Congress in at least one of its seats since 1955. Uh, this would be the first time since then that that's not true. What do you think about that? What do you think about Haley Stevens and Andy Levin squaring off in the Detroit suburbs? Haley Stevens coming out victorious in that new district and all the way across the state in Grand Rapids in the third congressional district, uh, Representative Pete Meyer, first term uh, congressman, uh, losing his seat uh, to John Gibbs, an African-American Republican. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there. We'll work into the conversation Let's start today with Terry in Detroit. Terry, welcome to the show. Morning, guys. Um, So uh, you guys already sort of made my point. It's just so unfortunate that some of the people in the 13th, and I'm thinking of the bottom five candidates, didn't drop out of the race because it was so clear that they didn't have um, a real shot at winning. And I think Greg is absolutely right. It was just all about ego. Um, I'm sorry we're losing Andy Levin. Uh, I wish he had won and uh, decided to, to to run in the other district. Um, at some point, I hope you know candidates in 24 and in future elections think about the greater good and um, remember that what we're trying to do is send really good people to represent Michigan, either to Lansing or to Washington, and they think of the greater good and they get out of the way when they know they're not going to win. Mm. Yeah, Terry, really appreciate the call. Uh, and and the comments, I think a lot of uh, a lot of people feel feel that way about the results in uh, in the 13th congressional district. Uh, let's go to Jadana in Gross, Gross Point Woods. I believe this is uh, my friend Jadana Dingus. Is that right? <laughs> it is your friend Jadana Dingus. Yeah. Good hey, morning. How are you? <laughs> I am doing great, thank you. How are you? Good. Uh, what's what's on your mind today? Well, I just feel like if there had been. Uh, a political figure, like, you know, with kind of the juice and the power and the respect of people, like a Coleman Young or Ed McNamara, those other candidates, they would have sat those other candidates down and said, it's not your time, mm-hmm. whether that was, you know, Sharon McPhail or, or Griffey or John Conyers Jr. or Adam, because I'm not a big Adam fan. Mm-hmm. Um, they would have sat those candidates down and ensured that the right candidate emerged and everybody would have thrown their support behind them. And I agree with Greg, it was about a lot of ego, but I think that that's what should have happened so that we could ensure that there was representation from you know, an African-American representing the city of Detroit yeah. going to Congress. I mean, this is just a shame that, you know, Tree, as nice of a guy as he seems, I don't think that he's the right guy in that spot. I want a Democrat in that spot, make no mistake. We want a Democrat in that spot, but I just think that it's a shame that there was Warren Evans didn't have the juice to make those other people sit down. Mm-hmm. Jadon, I really appreciate uh, the call and and those thoughts, and especially that callback to to history here in in Southeast Michigan. There was a time not too long ago when uh, there were political figures with enough. Uh, sway over over the party or over other folks to be able to say this is who our candidate's going to be and to say you know gently or even forcefully to to other folks 
we need you to we need you to get out of the way so that uh, something bigger than your own ambitions can uh, can be served. Uh, Greg, yeah. as we said, Warren Evans did did try that. Um, it didn't it didn't work out. I I can't think of anyone in Detroit politics who either would be able to do that or would ha- you know uh, part of it is would they have the interest. Uh, in, yeah. in in doing that, I mean, it's just not the same kind of political landscape that it that it was uh, when when we were younger. <laughs> if I, if oh, I that's say true. That. <laughs> yeah, no, the the era of boss party politics ended a long time ago, and it's interesting that Jadana brought that up. Uh, she's she's great. I love her. I think she's wonderful. Um, is that people kept saying last night? This is a statement about black leadership. And how far, you know, how far we have to go in order to be able to, you know, to really build the kind of machine that can make a difference. Now, certainly, you know, we 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 saw that with, you know, uh, President Biden and how, like, you know, folks came together to get him elected and having uh, Vice President Harris, you know, uh, uh, on the ticket, you know, galvanize people in a lot of way. But this is going to be really important coming up on the governor's election. You know, once again, if if the irony of ironies that the only black folks that you see, aside from the lieutenant governor at the top of the ticket this time around will or, or could give us a, a, a voice in Congress, uh, as it were, would be folks on the Republican side. And, you know, is this going to help Gibbs? I don't really think so. I mean, you know, John James is still suffering from I'm 2000 percent Trump which turned, you know, a lot of black folks off and mm-hmm. Gibbs seems like he's cut from the same cloth. So he's not going to be able, I don't think he's going to be able to rally people in Muskegon and Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo in the, in a way that would allow for, uh, for some, some cross party voting, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so I, she raises a good point, And so do you, you know, we don't have that anymore. Um, but we haven't had that for a long time. And what's missing is this sort of group consciousness when it comes to that. We're struggling. We're struggling, I think, as a community, as as African-Americans, between between wanting to have the best representation out there and and how much does being Black matter anymore? Sure, sure. You know, I heard people say when it came to Rashida Tlaib, who is, she's a beast. She's a great campaigner. She's out there fighting the fight, man. She's a good Democrat, uh, said that, you know, well, I just don't not necessarily think of her as not black. She'll be the first to tell you that she's not. Right, right. <laughs> you know? I mean, and, and, and look, Rashida, Rashida has represented African-Americans in this city for a really long time. I mean, that's who mm-hmm. she represented in the, you know, her, her legislative district, of course, had a lot of Latino and, and Arab American uh, constituents as well. But but it was a mostly African-American district. And, um, uh, you know, th- that question that you're pushing on there, this 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 big picture question about how much it matters what somebody's ethnic background is uh, mm-hmm. in terms of how they represent African-Americans. I mean, I think Rashida is a really great exhibit to, to, to think about there. I mean, there there is no one in Congress whose politics probably align more closely with uh, what we would say are black politics uh, than, than, than Rashida Tlaib. Um, and yet uh, her presence in Congress means uh, it's it's half of the equation that means that uh, black Detroiters don't have a black Detroiter uh, in Washington going forward. I mean, it's 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 not an easy it's not an easy puzzle to kind of to kind of make sense of. Well, you know, Stephen, uh, we talked about we talk about this issue, you and I and all of us, more than it was discussed in the race. That's it true. was repre- representation was never an issue in the 12th district at all. And that should have been something that was, you know, that was out there. You know, what is the legacy? How much are we, you know, are we committed to this legacy and the idea of representation when it comes to African-Americans? And certainly, you know, it's uh, discrimination is not codified in the way it was, you know, right before we were born. Um, But at the same time, 
you know, we didn't even have the discussion. Mm. And and I contend, Stephen, that that we need to have some seriously hard discussions in the Democratic Party about race and the way we treat each other because anti-blackness is real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it's real and it and it infects, you know, other communities, rising communities, rising minority communities in in a very significant way. Uh, you know, I always talk about like, hey, I am so happy to see you know, the rise of other communities in Dearborn and Hamtramck, for example. But Hamtramck has, you know, 20% or so African-Americans, Black folks there. There's sure. not one person on city council. Are you kidding me? Hmm. Dearborn is about 13, 15% African-American. And you, and you mean to tell me that you don't have any Black people on city council? And up until recently, my understanding is you didn't even have any people in the new administration. And so what good does it do us to have you know, rising communities of color uh, get power, but then emulate or imitate the racism that we were all fighting against by not having a very diverse staff or not having representation on city councils. And so we avoid having that discussion. And I I think somebody like Rashida Tlaib, who is righteous and, and, and woke and fights, is not afraid to have that discussion. Sure. You know, I don't think that she is now. Um, you know, I can't, I don't know if I can say the same thing about Shree, but Shree is fearless. He goes up into the NAACP meeting. Yep. He'll stand out there on the corner of Gratiot and Seven Mile and talk to people and wave signs. And, you know, he is, he's fearless when it comes to that. And he presents himself as a sort of all shucks, I'm harmless yeah. kind of like person, not necessarily the kind of person that's going to go to the mat for you. Uh, when it comes to civil rights and, and social justice. Hopefully, he'll change. He'll get more comfortable and make that happen. But mm-hmm. considering that he comes from India and they have the caste system and all that stuff, sure. you would think that he would be a little more aggressive uh, on that level. But yeah. maybe he's just not comfortable enough yet. We'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll, we'll see. I mean, he's going he's gonna to have a lot of opportunity for growth. Uh, in this in this new role. Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we are going to add Rick Pluta, who is the senior state capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network, to this conversation. He is now with us. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Elena in Detroit, Kathy in Huntington Woods, and Frank in Livonia will get to you as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your place for open dialogue. The music you love. Real news and in-depth analysis. And cultural experiences. The sound of Detroit. 1019 WDET is your public radio station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about what happened yesterday when Michiganders went to the polls in the August 2nd primary, voting for legislative races, congressional races, and uh, some people voting for a governor for uh, who will represent the Republican Party in the gubernatorial race in the fall. Uh, we want to hear from you about what has your attention this morning, what kept you up last night. Maybe you stayed up late like I did, waiting for results to be final. Um, and what you're looking forward to, I guess, in the next couple of months as we get ready for the general election in November. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation that way. I want to add another voice to the conversation. Rick Pluta is the senior capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Uh, Rick, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Hey, so uh, start here. Tell me, uh, tell me what has your uh, attention this morning? What has your eye? Lots of change in uh, Michigan politics last night. Some surprises, some things we expected. Uh, what are you paying attention to here? Um, you know what? Uh, for me, it's a lot of uh, you know what's next. That uh, Tudor Dixon is the Republican nominee. That uh, 
she, you know, appeared to win um, decisively, you know, roughly 40 percent of the uh, vote in a five-way race. And, um, you know, can she take the next steps that would be necessary in order for her to be a strong challenger to uh, Governor Whitmer? Also, as you know, what I, I suspect is an asterisk at this point, at, at this point, is I see that Ryan Kelly um, is refusing to concede at uh, this juncture mm-hmm. and maybe uh, seeking a recount that will uh, no doubt be futile. And uh, I would also point out that uh, even though it looks like he's at least interested in contesting the results, that uh, later yesterday when we were trying to figure out where the Ryan Kelly campaign would be, that all we got was a uh, statement saying that he was going to be watching the results privately with uh, family and close friends mm-hmm. instead of having a uh, watch party, which is not a signal that uh, they were expecting that it was going to be a great night for them. Yeah. Uh, so, Rick, I, I, I want to talk with you specifically about uh, this race out west uh, in the congressional third uh, Pete mm-hmm. Meyer, uh, a, a fairly popular uh, mm-hmm. young congressman um, from Grand Rapids, uh, loses his bid for re-election to, to John Gibbs. Tell us a little bit about who John Gibbs is and why people like Donald Trump inside the Republican Party are so excited about him. John Gibbs is someone who um, toes the uh, Trump line that, you know, he talks about uh, election lies and things like that. Remember that um, Peter Meyer, who, you know, again, you know, the Meyer uh, store chain, uh, which uh, began in West Michigan, Mm -hmm. is, you know, almost, you know, every store is a free yard sign for uh, his name. (laughs) So it's. Uh, you know, the, the, the Meyer family is very, very well known, but he's one of the handful of Republicans who voted for impeachment, which invited a, uh, a primary challenge. And it just shows that, uh, you know, at least on the Republican side, that uh, Trump remains a, uh, a powerful figure. And, uh, you know, that the Democrats now um, consider that a pickup opportunity because, even though, um, you know, Pete Meyer won the uh, or, you know, lost the Republican primary, that the general electorate and the tone of, of people who vote in November is going to be different than the, you know, hardcore Republicans who only vote in elections. And that's why Democrats think that they have an opportunity. there. Yeah. So uh, Democrats uh, put some money into that race is what I heard. I heard they put about $100,000 into the John Gibbs campaign. And I guess the strategy is you figure you, you, you help nominate the most extreme possibility on the Republican side that gives you a better chance in, in November. Talk about the Democratic side of that race. That draw, that just that district is Democrat plus three, according to the numbers. Democrats mm-hmm. might have a chance to, to win that. Was this a, a strategy that made some sense, I guess? I, I guess politically, it certainly did. And even some Democrats were saying that, uh, you know, they were against it. And it's kind of a, a dangerous game because uh, it is, you know, what's what's called a D3 district that uh, it went for those uh, counties went for Joe Biden in the uh, presidential election. Mm-hmm. But, you know, D3, it's good, but it's not a lock for Democrats. And so, you know, if in fact, Hillary Scolton, the nominee, loses, then that means you've got the kind of Republican in Congress that maybe a lot of people wouldn't want representing, you know, their district one, and two, is going to be an impediment to, if you're a Democrat, a lot of things that you believe in and are uh, hoping for. And it would could even, you know, force the Biden administration, which is already struggling with its, you know, the party's progressive wing, having to uh, tack even further, you know, toward the, you know, toward the center or more. Mm, yeah. 
again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. I'm talking with Rick Pluta, Senior State Capital Correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Also still with us is Greg Bowens, a political and communications consultant here in Detroit. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to include you in the race that way. Let's go to Elena in Detroit. Elena, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Can you hear me? I sure can. Okay. I just wanted to give a shout out to Andy Levin, who did a really stand-up job Mm -hmm. and I think was really targeted by APAC for kind of maybe being a traitor, for kind of maybe going against Israel Mm -hmm. and standing up for, for, for justice. And I'm really um, disappointed that he lost, but I think that he can hold his head high and say that he fought an honorable fight. And I know he's not going to disappear any more than Bernie Sanders would disappear. Yeah, yeah. Elena, I, I really appreciate you calling and, and, and saying that. I mean, I, I'm also a big fan of Andy Levin and his work and the direction, I think, that he was trying to take democratic politics in this in this state was – Really critical and really, really interesting. Um, Rick, we saw we saw APAC play a role in a number of congressional districts uh, here. Um, that's not terribly unusual, but because these were primary elections, I guess I was a little surprised by how much uh, of a role that these outside groups uh, wanted to wanted to influence the races. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like you said, not you know, not terribly unusual. Also, you know, just a product of redistricting that um, certainly some groups had to make hard choices about uh, who they were going to support in primaries where incumbents were thrown together. And uh, Andy Levin and Haley Stevens was, you know, exactly an example of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's also like, um, you know, members of Congress um, pay close attention when they're, uh, you know, casting what are called scorecard votes, scorecard votes mm-hmm. under, you know, groups that uh, represent part of their core constituency. Yeah. Uh, Greg, APAC also played a role in the 13th. Uh, they came in and backed Adam Olie, and, uh, and and there were there were folks in the race who thought maybe that was not helpful. Um, uh, talk about, again, the amount of money spent in that race is just uh, kind of blinding right now. And, and some of it is because, you know, Sri Thanadar was able to self-fund uh, so much. But you had a lot of other money come in. And, and again, this is, you know, it's a primary congressional race that, that ended up being, you know, a multi-million dollar spend for, for a lot of candidates. Uh, talk about, though, this this outside influence of Groups like APAC in and and what they were playing for in that district and how it aligns or doesn't with what the majority in that district want or need. Yeah, this uh, uh, this was the most expensive congressional race in in Detroit ever. We've never seen anything like this. John Conyers to raise a couple a couple thousand dollars. Yep. I, he rarely broke a hundred thousand. I think <laughs> you know and. What's interesting about this is, is that uh, I don't think that, you know, you know what? The Black Jewish Alliance is there. It's it's still a thing. It mm-hmm. still exists. And Brenda Lawrence revived it and supercharged it in lots of ways. And uh, and so I, I think by and large, we accept the idea that Israel should exist, you know, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> that it has a right to be here um, at the same time. I, I think that folks are not afraid to to question Israel's policies as it relates particularly to, you know, Palestinians and what's going on there. And and it's not as pointed a, uh, a discussion in Detroit and in the 13th district that you have in the in the 12th and in Birmingham and other places like that. And so. I don't really think that it, it played. I don't think that really resonated, you know, much. Uh, here as, mm-hmm. as 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 it could have, and um, given that Adam Olier is an officer in the army, maybe they just felt like that he would be, you know, he would he would fall more in line mm-hmm. with supporting Israel no matter what. I'm not sure that that's true, but you know, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Frank in Livonia, you're up next. What's on your mind? 
Hey, good morning, uh, Stephen. I was thinking that the uh, that election in Kansas last night, uh, you know, was really important. It's going to really kind of shake things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they had a, a, a big turnout. Fifty percent of the people came out. Six, they won. You know, sixty percent voted to uh, protect the the right in the Constitution. And I think that uh, West Michigan, I used to live in Kalamazoo, uh, and Kansas may share a lot of the same types of attitudes. And I think Kansas also has a big um, uh, Latino population, So, and as does West Michigan. So, I, you know, those things may work out a little bit, especially in that case where Peter Meyer uh, lost in uh, the redistricting in the state, you know, and everything. So I, I think that that's, that's going to have some a, a big impact on uh, elections here in Michigan. Mm, yeah, uh, Frank, I'm glad you called and 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 said that that Kansas vote was was one of the surprises. I think yesterday out of uh, elections there were I think there were five states that held primaries yesterday, not just Michigan. Um, Rick, let, let's talk about the influence that uh, the abortion issue may have going forward. We are likely to have uh, an abortion referendum on the ballot in in November here. Um, uh, What does that do? What does that say for Tudor Dixon, who's challenging Gretchen Whitmer? What does that say for John Gibbs and John James, uh, who who will have tough tough, uh, general election races in, in, in Congress? Does the abortion issue tip the scale heavily toward Democratic turnout. I think that's the issue, right, mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah. in a way that makes it much harder for them. Um, that Kansas vote, even though I haven't had the chance to delve deeply into it, that Kansas vote is fascinating because, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was unexpected, and it does speak potentially to the um, power that the, you know, the, the Supreme Court's decision in the Dobbs case will have over, you know, what occurs in the November elections. And even though there are some significant differences we should point out between, you know, the Kansas initiative was a vote on stripping uh, um, language from the state constitution, if I'm remembering correctly. And so it's, it's kind of a yay or nay sort of thing. Do you keep it there or don't you? And the initiative that we're talking about in Michigan is one that is it would put a um, an amendment into the state constitution. Mm -hmm. The campaign on that is going to be um, very, very big and nuanced that uh, the the the, the, the amendment language itself is is long and uh, complex. It's not uh, just a simple, you know, thou shalt protect abortion rights or, or thou shalt not. Um, but, you know, just the turnout power has got to make Democrats, you know, looking at this and going, you know, we may have, uh, we may be onto something here, especially since, you know, you've got all of those voters who signed petitions that there are people that you can contact and get them to turn out and, you know, help them to get their friends to turn out. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Greg. No, I was going to say, you know, this 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 abortion issue is pouring kerosene on a on a fire, man. <laughs> it really is when it when it comes to this. It, and 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 John James, he doesn't give his position on abortion. You know, you go to his website. All you see is something, you know, raising money in a video. Nothing about that. And the other guy, the Gibbs guy is, you know, a loony tune. I'm, you know, I. I'm joking here, but, you know, uh, when it comes to this issue where along with Tudor, where they don't even want exceptions for the case of of, of rape or incest, mm-hmm. you know, now there's another part in here I think that's pretty important and uh, that we don't talk about at all. And that is the the way that men feel, you know, <laughs> this idea that we've grown up with abortion being legal. Mm-hmm. And if you ever want to know how much power you don't have as a man, let your wife or girlfriend get pregnant. Mm. (laughs) You know, you have no say in what happens next. And the idea that uh, that that a woman would not be able to get a safe legal abortion, I I think is going to cut across a lot of relationships Mm. and is going to have men thinking twice about you know about supporting these these strict bans on on abortion i mean I, that's a 
You know, there can be a lot of sad faces, my brother. <laughs> a lot of sad faces if this if 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 that if that 1931 law kicks in among men. Yeah, and, no, I, I mean that's an interesting. It's a really interesting point that no one has really been talking much about is is how this cuts across gender um, mm-hmm. and and could you know could add to turn out. Uh, Rick, I've got about thirty seconds. Uh, um, mm-hmm. When when we think about this issue in the in in the fall, is this the worst? Uh, it, it seems to me that historically this would have been. The, the worst nightmare for for Republicans abortion on the ballot at the same time of course the the the, the particular uh, question in in Michigan would be you know a, a pretty extreme one on on the pro uh, the pro-choice side um, how what's the potential here uh, for Republicans in terms of damage I guess well I, I will go out on this thought and of course you know all of this is untested because the question is so new. But typically, uh, historically, that on the um, pro-life, anti-abortion rights side, they've had voter intensity, not just the people who support them more likely to get out to vote. Mm-hmm. One of the big questions, does this mean on the pro-choice side that thou, those voters have, you know, that, that that movement has captured voter intensity and those voters will be more motivated to go to get out and vote for uh, pro-choice candidates? Big yeah. question. Yeah. Okay, uh, Greg Bowens and Rick Plota, great to have you both here to talk about the election aftermath. Thanks so much for being with us on Detroit Today. Thank you. It's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act, and then we're going to hear from reporter Craig Mauger about updates to Michigan's increasing minimum wage and paid sick leave laws. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.